It is great to see you guys this morning. We're talking about monsters inside of us. How many of y'all watched that show or have ever seen that show, Monsters Inside of, of Me? Okay. In the first service, I'm not kidding, nobody, none, zero, nada, had ever watched it. If, you, if you're not familiar, it's on Animal Planet or Discovery Channel. It's basically a show about, uh, let's say that Dr. Will goes to India on a mission trip and comes back with a tapeworm in his ear, and, you know, we have to pull it out in prayer meeting on Wednesday night or something like that. It's uh, a show about parasites getting in people. Pretty disgusting show on multiple fronts. We're starting a series today titled Monsters Inside Me, but we're not going to talk about, uh, thank goodness, parasites getting in us. We're going to talk about the monsters of stress and anxiety and depression. Now, here's what I want. I'll probably say this every week. What I want you to get a hold of, and hopefully this is true about any sermon series or any sermon, but I think it's really true about this. You are in one of three spots with this this morning. You have been here, and you're going to agree with a lot of what I say because you've experienced it. A second thing, and this is the bad thing, some of you are in the middle of it right now. And you're probably not going to say anything to me after church, but you may email me this week, and that'll be awesome. But here's the third thing to keep in mind. Some of you are headed this direction in the very near future, or in the future. 2004, I was in a conference in Chicago, and Bill Hybels, the pastor at Willow Creek, was speaking, and he told about a period in his life when he, for three years, he didn't want to preach. He was so stressed out, burned out. And I'd never experienced anything like that, but I remember filing it away and thinking about it. Boy, I'm sure, sure glad I did. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to share with you my story uh, of struggles in some of these areas over the last seven or eight years. I was asked uh, earlier in the week, do you feel like by you telling people how crazy you are that they're not going to come back to the church next week? And I said, no, because I know most of the pastors in this town, and they are crazier than I am. So we're in good shape. In fact, James Skinner is here today. James, let's give Brother James a hand. James is... Uh, James is one of the lead pastors at the bridge. Now, this is, this is confidential. He was suspended for two weeks because they caught him stealing cookies from the nursery. So uh, if James asks you where the nursery is today or the kitchen, do not let him under any circumstances uh, go with that. James, thanks for being here today. I told him about a week ago we were having coffee. I told him I was going to mention him in the sermon. And so I think he's here for self-defense and maybe legal reasons too. So, uh, James, it's, gl- it's great to have you here. But I, I want to start with Proverbs 3.5. Now, this isn't a typical sermon. Come back next week, we'll have a typical sermon. But I am going to share with you several scriptures. Uh, Read this aloud with me this morning. After John 3.16, this is one verse you need to learn. Because I'm telling you, whether it's stress, whether it's depression, anxiety... Whatever it is that you have or will struggle with, this is a key verse for your life. I promise you it's a key verse for your life. But let me kind of unpack. Do y'all turn that clock up right there? The clock's flipped down. And if, I, you know, if it's 1.30 and the Cowboys are already getting beat by four touchdowns, I'll be disappointed that I'm not watching it. So thank you. Uh, and we are praying for that, right, folks? Amen. Okay. I want to to share with you my story, my struggles with these issues, to hopefully it it will help you uh, as you 
again, if you're going through it or as you go with it, go through it in the future. Growing up, and we're all products, victims, products of our upbringing. We all have, uh, we have genetical, certainly biological components to who we are, but we have environmental components. And I was blessed to be raised in a wonderful family. My mom and dad stayed together. Uh, my whole life, until, well, my dad died until he died. They were, they were together. I lived in a home where mom and dad loved each other. Uh, we went to church all the time. Jesus really was number one in our house. We went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I mean, being sick or cold or wet didn't keep you out of church. A limb had to be uh, hanging off before that was considered sick enough to miss church. But even in a, a great environment like that, I can look back and I can see some things uh, that affected me and that probably hurt me a little bit as I got older. Uh, one was, is we never expressed emotions. My parents uh, were a little older when I was born, and they were born in the, the back end of the Depression, and those were just tougher people. I mean, they, were t- they had to be tough people. And one thing we didn't do around our house, we didn't cry. We didn't, uh, you know, my father would spank you and tell you to quit crying. It was the weirdest thing in the world. Move your hands and quit crying. And, and by the way, that, was the, that used to be the medicine for ADD. The dad just took his belt off and whipped you, right? And it was very, uh, it was very effective, very effective. Uh, pharmaceuticals could bottle that. They would be uh, billionaires. But... but we didn't express emotions. In fact, I'm not sure. I, the only emotions I knew were mad and, and glad. That was it. I mean, I thought anything else was something girls possessed, but not even girls in my family. You know, we, we just didn't talk about those things. We had a great work ethic. I mean, from the time I was little bitty, we worked a lot as kids around the house and when we got a farm around the farm. That was good, but there wasn't a balance of work and play. I mean, we, uh, my dad didn't have many hobbies to this day. I have really no hobbies. And, and so I grew up where if you're going to be successful, you have to work, and you have to work very hard. And there's a great component to that, but there's an overkill component to that. And I think also there was a little perfectionism in my family. Some of you parents are probably doing this to your kids, and you're creating some unnecessary anxiety in, in them or some stress in them. I mean, you... You know, if, if your kid gets through school and they don't make all A's, you know, or hit a home run every time at bat, that's probably okay. That's probably okay. And by the way, you probably didn't hit a home run every time at bat, and you probably didn't make all A's either. Amen? So quit vicariously trying to make your kid something you could never be. Sorry, that's the mini-sermon. But that's important. Well, as I got older, and we'll jump ahead about 20-something years, I, in graduate school... In 1987, it was before I was born, but I was already in graduate school at this time. Uh, you following the humor there? This is a tough subject, so help me laugh a little bit uh, at, at stuff. But I remember uh, in the fall of 1987, I looked at my schedule. This was September, and I looked at my schedule, and I realized I was not going to have a day off until Thanksgiving. Now, when I say a day off, I, I mean not one single day day off. Now, here's how I justified it. I worked for Jesus. You, you, needed, you needed to honor the Sabbath, but I worked for Jesus, right? So it was okay for me to do this. And I, I pastored a, a church. I went to school. Our, the way our school schedule was, you went to school Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. My church was 240 miles away. Can you imagine that? So I would get in the car on Saturday. I would drive down. There was four hours. I'd get down there. 
I'd spend Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday I would come back. And so there really, there really never was any break or rest at all. And so that was kind of the pattern of, of my life. And uh, jumping ahead to 2000, about 13 years later, and, and see, these are things, most of the time, if you, these things don't just happen overnight. I mean, it's not like you, you wake up one day and go, wow, I can't take it anymore. Well, I'm just really depressed. I'm overwhelmed. I'm anxious. And if you're a man like me, you probably don't recognize if you're depressed or not. I've never known if I was depressed or not. But the year 2000, I was finishing my doctor's degree. I had two teenage daughters. Sorry, but that was stressful. Uh, a wonderful wife. Uh, a very busy church. I was working seven days a week. It was great. And one Wednesday, I started having chest pains. And... Um, you know, I thought, well, this is, you know, I probably ate a Pop-Tart and it went down wrong or something. I didn't know what it was. And, and, but it went on all day, all day, all day. And so finally that night after prayer meeting, you remember this, Cindy? I, I told Cindy and one of our friends, a lady named Dinky. Dinky was wonderful. And if you have the name Dinky, everybody always remembers you. They never forget your name. They said, we need to go to the hospital. So we go to the hospital, and they do an EKG, and they listen to me, and they thump around and, you know, all that. And the doctor says, your heart is fine. Now, I want you to hear this. He goes, it's stress. Now, here's how smart I was. I said, oh, it's stress. That means it's nothing. <laughs> you know, my heart's okay. It's just stress. I don't need to worry about that. Continued on this pattern. We moved to Ruston in 2003, and we were super excited when we got here. The church had had, had some troubles. If you remember in the late 90s, 2000s, church gone through a lot of transition. So there was a lot of challenges here. We had just gone $3 million in debt, and y'all voted to do that before I got here. Now it was my job to help figure out how to pay that off, but that was great. And we were really excited. We jumped in uh, hands and feet, and we went to work, and I was working seven days a week. And my schedule at, at this time, you know, Sunday, y'all think this is the only day preachers work, but it, it is one day we work. You know, I'd get, to, I'd get here, and I'd get home normally at night about 8 or 8.30. Monday, we were doing an outreach program at that time every Monday night. So I'd get to the office about 9. I wouldn't go home all day. I'd get home about 8.15 or 8.30 Monday night. And then Wednesday night, the same thing, get home about 8 or 8.30. And I went in that pattern and the church gives me Thursday, or excuse me, Friday and Saturday off, but, but I wouldn't take it because I work for Jesus. I, I don't need a break. And I wouldn't normally work a full day or come in the office, but I would I'd work about a half a day Friday and about a half a day Saturday. You know, in Exodus 20, God addresses this. Exodus 20, verse 9 and 10. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, or your daughter, nor your manservant, or your maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien. Alien is not like from Mars or anything. That's like somebody who is not a Jewish person within the gates. Now, here's an interesting biblical tidbit. That's part of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. The commandment God gives the most verbiage to is the one about honoring the Sabbath. Is that not interesting? If I was God, I would have given the most attention to don't commit adultery because that seems to be a struggle, doesn't it? Or maybe the one about don't take my name in vain. You know, these are ones I think I would have given more attention to. But God did this for a reason. And please don't try to use a New Testament verse to say that we shouldn't 
honor the Sabbath because when Jesus was asked about the Sabbath, he didn't say not honor it. He just reframed it. He said, by the way, God gave it for you. Sabbath means rest. I learned this lesson. I'll share with you in a moment. You need a day off. You need a day when you can set aside to worship God and to rest and relax. And no matter who you are, no matter how big or bad or strong you are, you cannot keep the bow always bent without eventually breaking. It will happen. So that was my pattern. And, and then the, <clears throat> towards the, uh, uh, about May of 2000, well, back up a little bit, probably about February of two, 2007, I'd, I was beginning to feel stressed. And, and I don't know how to put it any other way, but just kind of overwhelmed. Not that I couldn't go and do my work or anything like that. I just always felt overwhelmed. And, and it began to manifest itself. I couldn't sleep. Now, here's a, here's a real important thing for some of you to, to file away right now. Sleep problems, it, it may be a problem in it of itself, but oftentimes it is a symptom of a deeper problem. Now, I never needed a lot of sleep. I could always get by on about six and a half hours sleep and be great, six or six. Go to bed at 12, get up at six, I'd be fine. Now I'd go to bed and I could not sleep. Or worse than that, in my opinion, I would go to bed and about 3.30 in the morning I would wake up and I could not go back to sleep. Has anybody ever experienced that? It's really terrible. It's not a good thing. You have to watch. I'm telling you, in my life now, when I see that happening, I know I need to back off. That's a stress thing. Here's what I did. I'd go to Starbucks and get a Vente Caramel Frappuccino. You know, and surely 50 ounces of Starbucks will, and it did, you know, for about two hours in the afternoon, I felt better. But by the way, that is not a long-term medical remedy uh, for, for your problems. And... All that was just kind of, you know, when you don't get much sleep, that tax on to everything else, and I was just getting worn out. Third Sunday in May, uh, this was 2007, I still remember it like it was yesterday. Here was what my schedule looked like. I got up at 5 to go over my sermon notes and to, to pray. We were having early service at 8.30 then, so I got here for a 7.45 meeting. I preached at 8.30. I was doing a discipleship group most of the time on the, in the afternoons, but for that morning, for some reason, we changed it. So I did a discipleship group. Now, that was, uh, was Kyle Birch, that was Paul Nelson, Wade Ratcliffe, and Russ Golden. That could be the reason for the stress right there. But I met, I met with those guys. Then I preached at 11. Then we had a graduate's lunch at noon, and I go to that. So then I go home. I spend about an hour going back over my Sunday night notes. I come up here, have a deacon's meeting at 5. I preach at 6. We have a business meeting at 7. I do a bylaws meeting at 7.30, and I go to my office, and Cindy's waiting on me because she knows something's wrong. And I just put my head in my hands, and I cried. And I know what some of you men are thinking. Well, you're a preacher, you're a feminine, and you probably cry a lot. Let me assure you, I have multiple problems. I'm sharing them with you today. I've never been a sissy, and I've never been feminine. I was just broken. Cindy thought I was having a stroke. Cindy cries. That's going to be part of a consistent theme in here, Cindy crying, me making her cry. 
she called Dr. Mark Blackwelder, and he was very, very kind. And, and um, she, told, she told Mark she thought I was having a stroke. And Mark said, I don't think he's having a stroke. I have him come in tomorrow. So I went in the next day, and, and Mark uh, looked me over, asked me questions, and he, uh, he put me on an antidepressant. Now, some preachers uh, will tell you you shouldn't be on an antidepressant and that you just pray and everything will get better. That's fine, but let's be consistent. I, Tommy Nelson, James used to work for Tommy Nelson. I've heard him say, Tommy Nelson's pastor at Denton Bible Church, if you will take medicine for cholesterol, blood sugar, uh, and blood pressure, then why would you tell someone they shouldn't take it if they were depressed or stressed? Amen? If that's your philosophy, that's fine, but just don't call me when you go to the hospital because I'm going to tell you to pray and get over it. I'm halfway kidding. I had never, I'd always thought that was, uh, in fact, a lot of the preachers I know who've railed against medicine have been on it in the future. I think that's God's way of almost saying, "Mm mm-hmm, be arrogant. I never was against it. In fact, I I was for it, and, and some of my preacher friends had been on antidepressants for several years. Honestly, I was a little prideful because they had been on it, and I, I had not been on it. God has a good sense of humor, doesn't he? Just let me give you a little verse I think goes with medicines, and that's James 1, 17. It says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good thing is from God. Amen? You get in that car today and drive home, that is really, that car is a gift from God. He gave people the ability and the intelligence to create those things. That bed you sleep on, this heater we have, every good gift is from God. That includes medicine. Here was the problem, and we're going to talk about this in the next few weeks, that the problem with those antidepressants and stuff is it's not like taking a shot of penicillin. It's not like going in and you get some ampicillin when you've got the flu or cold or Tamiflu, whatever. These things work differently on different people. And it takes sometimes a couple of weeks for them to work. That's, that's part of the mess with, with, with all this thing. This started working on me, and one day it was driving me out of my mind. I had some kind of reaction to it, and I mean, I was crawling out of my skin. I was just, uh, it, it was really, really bad. And I called um, Dr. Blackwater again. A couple of days later, he was very gracious and helpful, and he was able to get me on another medicine that helped me sleep and helped me feel better. I took a couple of weeks off, and I came back in 2007 and preached. I remember the very first time I came back and preached, I preached, but in the middle of the sermon, it was like I just felt really odd. I felt really overwhelmed. I made it through the sermon fine. But afterwards, I talked to Steve, who at that time was our education. He was what Clayton is. And Steve had a background in counseling. And I said, Steve, I don't understand. I, I, I worked out this morning. I got on the treadmill this morning. And I felt good. And now I come in here and I just feel exhausted. He said, Chris, you're not physically exhausted. You are emotionally exhausted. I'd never heard that before. But he was exactly right. And here's, you know, here's a scary little thing. I, I got better. The medicine helped. I started immediately taking one day a week off. I mean, short of someone dying, uh, suddenly I'm going to take one day a week off every week and do nothing. Cindy asked me yesterday, what would you do today? I said, nothing. Exactly what I planned to do. She said, did you move out of the recliner any? I said, to go to the restroom. That was it. In the icebox. That was it. (laughs) The remote was here the whole time. 
But I didn't deal with some of the other issues in my heart and my head. And I knew one day I was driving to work that November, and, and, I, and I, I said to myself, I said, I feel better, but I know I have not dealt with some of the issues that are going on in my head and my heart. Well, everything kind of went okay until the fall of 2008. In the fall of 2008, it was kind of out of the blue. All of a sudden, I began to, I just began to feel really nervous. Not all the time. It was situational. And I, I have loved to preach. God called me to preach. I've always loved to preach. You know, when I first started preaching, you'd be a little nervous. But, but through the years, that would kind of gone away. All of a sudden, getting up to preach was tough. It was so hard. And, and I remember that Bill Hybel sermon about it. He went through three years where it was very difficult to preach. I'd filed that away. And I couldn't figure out, I mean, a lot of times I'd feel fine, but then sometimes it was just really nervous. And I, I heard about a, a guy in Dallas who was an ordained minister and a doctor, and I went to go see him. Supposedly he helped a, uh, a lot of people. He didn't help me. Um, he doubled the medicine I was on. He said, you just need a double dose of this. I, okay, do it, doc. Double it up. I'm for it. It's legal. It's, you know, it's good. You know, it's... What he didn't tell me is if it doesn't work and you have a reaction to it, you'll be crawling out of your skin again. And it takes three weeks, literally on the dime, three weeks later, papoom. I mean, it was bad. And that weekend, I had to go to Arkansas and preach a revival, and I preached seven times in 48 hours. And when I got home, man, I was just, you know, I was, I was worn out, I was exhausted, and I didn't know what was wrong. The doctor gave me a prescription to Xanax. If you don't know what Xanax is, it's, it's basically a relaxant. He'd give me the lowest dosage. I wasn't buying it on the street somewhere. This was legal. And I would take a little bit of a Xanax before a priest or before uh, a real stressful situation. And that seemed to help until the, third, uh, it was the second Sunday, I think, in March of 2009. I was meeting with a group of men before the 830 service. For the Lord's Supper. I try to get them organized, tell them don't drop the trays, you know, uh, make sure everybody gets some, those kind of things. And I went into that meeting and I started talking and I couldn't continue. I just had to sit down. And then I realized I, I had to get out of that room and Brandon helped me and I went back to my office and they called Cindy. Cindy cried. She came and got me. I talked to two or three people later. One guy said, what would you eat for breakfast? And I was ashamed to tell him because I, I eat well most of the time, but not on Sundays. That's my party day. And preachers party with food. That's how we party. And I said, well, I had some Pop-Tarts. He said, you breakfast of champions. I think I remember him saying that. And he said, well, you had a hypoglycemic thing. Your blood sugar fell, whatever. I, and I don't know. I don't know if it was a panic attack or what. But all I knew was I was supposed to do something, and I couldn't do it. And on the way home that day, I just thought, what is going to happen? What am I going to do? I don't have, like, rich relatives I can go live off of. Or, you know, my dad didn't leave a lot when he left. And I can remember, I, I didn't preach for about three weeks, but I, I kept coming to work, and I was, I was in service. Other people were preaching. I remember one day I was sitting there and I was thinking, you know, I trusted that Xanax to pull me through and it failed me. And it was like God whispered in my ear, because I said, I don't have anything but God. And it's like God whispered in my ear, 
That's exactly the place you need to be. You have nothing but me. You hold on to me, and you don't let go. A couple of weeks later, I came back to preach on a Sunday night. And again, I can't explain this. I figured this week, by the time that happened in 2009, I had preached over 2,200 times in my life. I'm not talking about teaching Sunday school or prayer meeting. I'm talking about preaching, standing in a, like I am today, over 2,200 times. But it was so hard. And I just didn't know if I was going to be able to do it or not. So Cindy's sitting down here. She's crying. You get the picture again. Let me back up and tell you what we did before we came out. We prayed. Josh and I prayed. And Josh knew I was, I was very concerned. Josh put his arm around me and he prayed the sweetest prayer. He said, God, protect him. And he said, God, this is what you've made him to do. I'll never forget that because it reminded me, this is what God's called me to do. I've got a purpose. When you're depressed, you're anxious, you're mixed up, you need to hold on to the fact that God's still got a purpose for your life. I came out and preached, and I made it through that sermon fine. Cindy cried. Pam saw Cindy crying. She thought I was going to resign. I didn't. The next few weeks, I preached on Sunday morning, and then the church gave me 11 weeks off. James had a sabbatical at that same time, and Susan Martin kind of got us connected, and we would meet and talk about how a mess we were. <laughs> but his church and this church gave me that time off to really, and it really helped me regroup. And I, I want to tell you, again, we, we got six weeks to talk about a lot of these things. I didn't get well overnight, but I believe God healed me. And you know what? Every Sunday now, when it's time to get up here and preach, I cannot wait to get up here and preach. I want to tell you about you. There's hope. There is hope for you. One of the greatest things someone ever told me, they told me two or three things that I'll never forget. One, they said, you're not crazy. I want to tell you this morning, if you're stressed, you got some depression, you've got anxiety, you're not crazy. You're a normal person who's going through some junk. And I want to tell you this. There's hope. I also want to tell you this, too. I hope you're humble enough to hear this. Everybody in here is susceptible to this. If you look in the Bible, the greatest people in the Bible hit rock bottom. Moses, Elijah, David, John the Baptist. Jesus says the greatest man that ever lived when he was in prison Fixing to die, he said, is, is Jesus really the one or should we look for somebody else? Paul, no doubt Paul had anxiety. I want to tell you, you can go through this. You, you can experience this. I promise you can. But our hope today is not that you can go through this. Our hope is, is that you can make it through this. Could it be spiritual issues? Absolutely. We get away from God. We get sin in our life. We're doing stuff we shouldn't. We create anxiety and depression on our lives. That wasn't where I was at this particular journey. I was trying my best to live for Christ, pray and read my Bible. It may not be a spiritual issue. It may be a physical issue. It may be an emotional issue. But I want to tell you again, there is hope for you. There is hope for you. Where's that hope found? Maybe it will be in medicine. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe it's in counseling. We have a wonderful counselor, Brandon, here on our staff. I want to tell you as your pastor, or if I'm not your pastor, as your friend, 
that I'll be here for you. I've walked through that valley, and I want to promise you, I walk with a limp today. I think I'm well, but I walk with a limp, and part of that is so I can be a better pastor. I want to tell you, this church is going to be here for you. We're certainly not the only church in Ruston that would be here for you. Some churches have blown it in this area, but I want to tell you, we're not going to. We're going to be there for you. But most importantly, I want to tell you, Jesus Christ is never going to leave you. Listen to Psalms 34, 4. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Isn't that great? Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I'm going to talk to you a little more in just a moment. If you're not a Christian, you you really do need to settle this with Christ today. That's the foundation. Would you pray with me? If you're ready to do this, would you pray and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. I believe you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Jesus, come into my life this morning. And today, I surrender myself to you. Let me have your attention just for a second. We're going to stand in a moment. And I want to challenge you to respond to what God said to you. Maybe you just prayed and asked Christ in your heart. Or maybe you're ready to do that. When we stand, would you come this morning? I know it's hard. But would you come and talk to one of these ministers? Would you settle that deal with Christ today? Maybe you're here today and God's leading you to join our church family. You need a church family. I want to tell you, when the storms get tough, you need a church family. One way you can join is when we stand. You can come. We'll be down here waiting on you. We'll help you do that. Christian, this morning, maybe where you're standing or maybe at this altar with a minister, there are things you need to get right with Christ. Or maybe today you want to just come and tell the minister to pray for you, to love on you. God's here for you. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to help you. Let's stand as God leads you.